good to see you all here. We thought last Wednesday evening it was a quite well-attended meeting. They're probably about the same size as now, but it seems a little emptier this morning. But I'm glad for all of you out here. Thank you for that first message on, on light, Josh. This morning, I'm going to uh, give the message, a variation of the message that I gave two weeks ago in Ohio when I was asked to preach on music. It's not, I, some others could teach a lot better on that, but uh, I was asked to, so uh, I trusted the Lord. And um, they wanted a title, and I they had to come up with a title pretty quick. And they asked me some month before, and so I thought of it overnight, and I came up with a title, and I had to stick with it. So I came up with a title, and it was Music, the Art of Worship, the title I gave. And so then that's the study that I studied down towards that direction. So Music, the Art of Worship. Uh, worship is strongly connected to singing. Um, sometimes we call the first part of the service the worship service. And there are places around the country that are called worship centers. You do some kind of more of a charismatic church and they emphasize their music a lot. But at the onset, I want to make sure and clear that worship is much, much more than music. (laughs) You are a worshiper. I am a worshiper. We are all worshipers, and we all worship something. We may or we may not know what we worship, but there's celebrity worship. There is work worship. There's money worship. There's experience worship, and there's God worship, (laughs) but we all worship. There's power worship. There's self-worship. Scripture tells us who we are to worship, and it tells us how we are to worship. And uh, we are to worship the eternal God. That's what we were doing this morning. We were singing those songs. Trust we were. If your heart was at the right place, you were worshiping the eternal God, the triune holy God. And we are to worship him. We are to worship him in reverence and in obedience, respect and love. And we're to worship him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And there's the familiar verses in John 4. And I'm just going to read them here. You don't have to turn there because it's not our main text. Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
So this morning, if we think about worship, we're thinking we're talking about yeah. We're going to narrow our worship to music this morning because worship is all of life. We're going to narrow it to music, and so music, the art of worship. Now I'm going to take a congregational survey. I'm going to ask, and you're to think, in your home, how many different songbooks do you have in your home? Not how many songbooks, but how many different kinds. And just think in your mind, just think of how many do we have, and come up with sort of a number. And I'm going to ask the second question, and it's related. It may not seem so at first. And you men might not know the answer. I wish you'd be sitting together with your wives or your mothers. How many cookbooks do you have in your house? And count them. You can count the best you can, brothers. <laughs> I'm actually not going to get you to... I'm not going to do a survey. Now, who has the highest? not going to do anything like that. And now I have an answer. Which number is higher? Songbooks or cookbooks? Which one do you have the most of in your house? Which number is greater? Which do you have more songbooks or you have more cookbooks? See, music is an art. Cooking is an art. Music is made of a three main constituents, rhythm, melody, and harmony. Food is made of a three macro components, fats, carbs, and protein. Let's consider food for a little bit. No one needs to no one needs a cookbook to go out to an apple tree and pick an apple and eat it. You don't need a cookbook for that. Or berries from a bush. You can bring peas in from a garden and shell them, hopefully. Put them in a pot, a little bit of water and salt, and cook it, and you're, you're done. You don't need a cookbook for that. And potatoes. You can cook potatoes and corn. So you think a little bit. Why are cookbooks even needed? Do you just have an excuse? Animals don't have cookbooks. Cookbooks is a uniquely human thing. And it's because God made us distinctly different than the animals. God created people to be creative. People are imaginative. They are artistic. Purposefully made so by God. And you, I don't know if you heard the, I, I remember this old evolutionary tale that I heard that was actually given as a fact. You've got you to discern a little bit what you read, but I remember reading it years ago, how cooking actually originated in the human species, the evolutionary trail that we have. Well, the animals, uh, people, whatever they were at that point, they, um, they just were like the other animals, and they went out, somebody went out and made a kill, and they brought the animal back in and, and they brought it to their clan and they're all around their 
eating this animal raw, just like all the other animals, except at that point they already had tamed fire. So this fire was burning in their midst, and they were around there eating this animal raw, and a piece fell into the fire. And there was a lot of food, so no one worried about it. But after a while, something smells good. Oh, it's that piece. So they get this piece out, burnt their fingers and stuff like that. But after a while, they ate it. That's a lot better, and they discovered cooking. Now, that's not a true tale. (laughs) That is an evolutionary tale. God created us. From the beginning, it's very artistic. We are intelligent. We are creative. It's in our innate nature of man and woman and children to create. I saw one of the most creative little notes from a a friend of my daughter that can just barely read, and it was very creative. Uh, You could decipher most of the words. But we are creative And so we have cookbooks, any of them. And what can be done with food is astounding. Talking about kicking an apple off of a tree and eating it. But you can take food, you can cut it, you can dice it, you can slice it, you can mash it, you can crunch it, you can split it, you can puree it, you can blend it, you can grate it, and you can go on and on. And you can boil it and broil it and fry it and marinate it and roast it and smoke it and burn it. You can sweeten it. You can sour it. You can pickle it. You can culture it. You can leaven it. You can season it. I tell you, cooking is an art. Um, An almost limitless array of ingredients. You have the three macronutrients that I've mentioned protein and carbs and fat, but you can take an almost limitless variety of ingredients in an almost limitless proportion, and then it can be eaten cold or hot, it can baked and you know, fried in all those different ways, and 20 minutes, 275, one hour for 350, and it's an art. You can go to culinary school, and what do they call it? Culinary arts. You can get a culinary arts degree. And then there is French foods and Italian foods and Mexican foods and Chinese foods and American foods and Pennsylvania Dutch foods. Different cultures had their different um, food traditions and norms, and a lot of that had to do with the culture had to do with what was available and those developed norms and cultures. But all cultures, cooking is an art. The, the human creativity just comes out. <clears throat> now what I've looked done here is looked at one aspect, a pretty main aspect of our lives, and it's eating. And I used that as an example for us to see that we are artistic. Even in something as mundane, I call it mundane as eating, you can eat without cooking. We have created an entire industry, artistic industry of that one area of our lives. And uh, 
we are creative, artistic people. Good cooking brings people together. And good singing brings people together. Think about that because we're trying to make the comparison. Food can be prepared with almost infinite variety. Music can be composed with an almost infinite variety. Food affects the body, but it does connect to the soul. Music affects the soul, but does connect to the body. So there's a different emphasis on those. Food appeals or feeds our bodies. It appeals to our senses. And improper use of food can ruin us. The wrong use of food is sinful. Gluttony is sinful. Gluttony is on par with drunkenness. Uh, Drunkenness and gluttony both draw us away from that closeness and that light of God that we talked about this morning, that was we heard about this morning. And the wrong use of food, yes. We dig our graves with our spoons and we don't fast. We eat processed junk food. Those that went to those culinary arts school, <laughs> those that and then work for big corporations, they know what appeals, what for combinations appeal to the flesh, and then they mass produce it and sell it to the masses. And what God has intended for good, the artistic, creative, imaginative creature that we are, that God intended for good, it gets twisted and it actually for our destruction. They use the artistic nature of mankind that enjoy food in all those combinations and they twist it to something that is not, that is harmful and damaging. Food that we eat becomes a part of your body. The music we sing or listen to becomes a part of our soul. Now, some people have different tastes. Some like this music, some don't. Some like this food, others don't. Yet underneath all of that, there is a general concept of what is good food and what is not good food. And there are general principles of what is good music and what is not good music. And opinions vary. Opinions vary on what is a good diet. Should you have a low-fat, high-carb? Or should you have a high-fat, low-carb? And... Mediterranean and uh, beach diet, and I forget what all they have. There's different opinions, and they're not always agreement. And it depends to some degree what you want to accomplish. If you're if you're too thin, you might want to have a different diet than if you're too heavy, or you have a certain bodily condition, you might want to. You know, there's various things like that as well. But there's general principles. And you should listen to your doctor or nutritionalist if you have one that understands your situation. And you should listen to those who have charge of your souls when it comes to music. 
it's not that there's an entire understanding or entire correctness in both of them, but there is a general, uh, they are responsible. Now, some people are simply ignorant of how their eating habits will affect them long term. They just eat what they like in the proportion that they want to. Now, people who study this, who understand the long-term effects of food, uh, they, uh, people who study this understand the long-term effect of food, both good and bad. And the same way with music. Some people just never think much of it. They just listen to what they want to listen to. Now, ignorance of our habits, whether it's food or music, ignorance of our habit does not compensate for the consequences of our habits. Consequences come with ignorance as well as it does with knowledge. Now, knowledge is a little worse. If you do it against your knowledge, you're, you're more culpable because you're going against what you know, but ignorance is not really that far behind. So what I'm going to do this morning for a main text, and we're going to get into music now. In music, there's good music and there is bad music. So you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to read the first 21 verses. But I want to read it in a context you have never maybe read it before. I want to read you to read it and to think of it in the context of music. The world, we know that the world is filled with music. Music is a part of We listen to music. We sing, and we're around it. And let's listen to this text and listen to what God has to tell us and think of your singing and listening habits as we read this. So let's read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 21. Be you therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become as saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. 
But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. There's another verse for light. (laughs) Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So, as we think of this, we are called to follow God as dear children in our music. We are to discern what is pleasing to the Lord in our music. God calls us to walk circumspectly, wisely in our music. Not as fools who eat whatever tastes good or consume whatever music because they like it. But like the wise who've given careful thought of the outcome of their music choices. The days are evil. Don't waste it on mediocre or worthless songs. Maybe it's not filthy, but is it worthy of the time it takes to sing and listen to it? And be filled with the Spirit and sing those psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another and make a melody of thanksgiving to the Lord with all your heart. And not forget the last verse. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Which actually means in context that we actually can't just choose. We don't have the liberty to choose whatever music we want to listen to. (laughs) There's actually a, a yielding to each other. And I think especially maybe of young people. Connected to following God as dear children, connected to being filled with the Spirit and with singing, is submitting ourselves to one another. Now in this passage, we have the evil and darkness of the world alluded to. Paul doesn't actually describe the darkness in detail. He actually says it's a shameful thing to speak about it. But as the world is evil, so is its music. We reject ungodly music in its entirety. Those love songs, the songs of violence, the songs of drugs and adultery and lust. We have really fallen, or we had never known God if we give ourselves to that evil wicked art and don't sugarcoat it because Paul doesn't he says let no one deceive you with empty words because of these things the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience therefore do not associate with them and so 
that talking about uh, we're talking about this in context of music, and so we have the world, we have their wickedness and their the things they do, and in their wickedness, they develop this art of music because they are creative creatures. In their wickedness, they develop this art, and they promote it, and it goes out, and we are to reject it, absolutely. Please, if you. If anyone here is into that, you you have been warned by Paul. Do not associate with them. But the tenor of the passage is not to just avoid evil. The entire tenor of the passage passage is a drive and a desire as a child of as a child of a loving father to understand the heart of God. It's a drive for excellence, for the best. Our God is holy. We come to him with a holy melody. We speak to each other with holy psalms and hymns. It's, it's a call to excellence. Because unlike food, we are not just feeding our bodies. We are expressing our thoughts and our desires and our thanksgiving to this thrice holy God. The creator of the universe, the one who made us artistic. We now respond. He made us this way and we respond with the way he made us in the way that is pleasing to him, that we worship him in spirit and in truth, in a way that is fitting to his character. And that calls for a careful evaluation of our practice of this art that is called music. And music is powerful. We think food is powerful. I enjoy a good meal. (laughs) But music is more powerful than food. Well, I can debate about that, but it's powerful. Let's give an idea of the difference between a fly swatter and a rifle. I sent my grandson out to a tree it has a bunch of spotted lantern flies on it. I send them out with a fly swatter. And I have I have no problem sending him out with a fly swatter. I would have a problem sending him out with a rifle. Now they're both instruments of death. You realize that. They're both instruments of death. But the one is more powerful than the other. I want the reason I printed that illustration is I want you to understand music is powerful for both good and bad. You do not deal lightly with music. If you do, it's to your own pearl. Um, just thinking one illustration, I thought of music's power. Um, some of you might know this story better than I do, but I remember hearing a story about a little girl, a little toddler that was captured by the Indians and completely removed and was raised by the Indians. At a young age, she forgot her name, forgot her language, forgot her people. She no longer remembered her past. And as she, I don't know at what age, as when she was older, probably, I would, I would guess in her teens, I don't know, she was recaptured by the white people and they were trying to reunite their families. They probably had a number of children and a number of parents and parents had a number of children that were missing and, and they got them together, but there was no identity. Uh, the, the parents no longer recognized the children, and the children no longer knew their names. And they were now completely separated for so many years. 
the mother sang a nursery, uh, not a nursery rhyme, a little song, a song that she sang when that girl was in the cradle. And it connected. That's the only connection they had because music is so powerful. And like a, like a loaded gun, music has the ability to do much good and much evil. And it cannot be ignored without pearl. Now, to use the analogy of a gun, now would be a good time uh, to, uh, like, uh, to give you the nuts and bolts of good music and bad music and an analogy of, of, a, of a gun. Now would be a good time to give you a hunting safety course. I tell you, you don't go over a fence with a loaded gun. You, you, you check your uh, background and you identify your target and you do all those safety things. And you get the nuts and bolts of how to handle a gun. And now would be a good time for me to give you the nuts and bolts of how to, what is good music and what's not. But I said right off, I can't do that. That is, I don't know music that well that I can do that. There might be some here who can. There are definitely people who can. But I am here to inspire us to godliness and holiness and love towards God. To appreciate and value the art of music for worship. And to have that worship uncontaminated. By the world. And so it's going to be somewhat focused on that. We already eliminated wicked music, ungodly music that talks about the wicked things that go on in the world and puts it to music and celebrates it. We already eliminated that. But there's other music that is contaminated. And so I'll be focusing more on that. And that is, of course, the, the CCM, the Christian Contemporary music or Christian worship music that a lot of that is contaminated we are Anabaptist either by lineage or by heritage and that does not make us any closer to God than the Jews were without without um repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is something we can learn from our Anabaptist fathers who went before us. The early Anabaptists, after they separated from the state church, they separated, they had the state church. Everybody had to go to church in town. Everybody's required to be a part of that church. And they separated from it because they said, no, that's, that's, not, that's not a proper godly church after they separated they could have gone back to that church in town in fact that church in town had good preaching going on in many of those places i'm sure it varied a lot but some of those places had good preaching those preachers were trained in latin and greek and maybe hebrew and they were taught in oratory they went to school they were they were educated and they probably had some better sermons than some of those simple Mennonites that were out in the hills. And a lot of their sermons may have been biblical. But the Anabaptists were radical. They didn't see the Catholic church, they didn't see the Catholic church as needing a reformation. They saw it as a false church. And then the 
the reformers, they did not correct the fundamental errors of the Catholic Church. The Anabaptists believed from, an, from the ground up reestablishing of a New Testament church. And so they believed in things that the, that the state church didn't, such as uh, the new birth and believer's baptism and voluntary church membership and discipline and holiness of life and practice and following the teachings of Jesus as he taught. And they refused to compromise. And to go back to the state church would have been a compromise. And they maintained something through the centuries, not perfectly, but they maintained something. Now, musicians, especially modern musicians, modern artists, we're going to call them, are connected with the very things we reject. Their music is patterned after the world itself. They, these musicians, they reject separation, they reject holiness, they reject righteousness. Their gospel is generally false. Their music strays from proper order and structure and proportion. They are performers. They are entertainers. Listening to their music is not a direct connection to the theology and practice. It's a soft connection, which is actually a little more dangerous. But it is a connection. It's a fleshly, emotional, feel-good music of pop culture that moves people. And it does move, but not in the right direction, not for us. Turn to Acts 16 for a few verses, and we'll look at an experience Paul had. Acts 16, starting at verse 16, and it came to pass, this is Paul, and he's on his second missionary journey. This is Paul and Silas. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her the same hour. Now I'd like to ask you the question, what was wrong with her message? These men are servants of the Most High God. Anything wrong yet? Who proclaim unto you, the way of salvation. Anything wrong yet? <laughs> Sounds like pretty, pretty uh, straightforward and true to me. So what's wrong with the message? What can you pick at? What's wrong with this music? Listen to the words. They're simply singing scripture. The word is being proclaimed energetically, passionately. Emotionally, repeatedly, over and over and over and over, just like this girl did, kept on crying. 
Did you check the source? Do you know? Did you see? Do you see how those singers are dressed and groomed? Those musicians. What's the atmosphere of the place where they give those performances? Or they do that proclaiming? How do they act? How do they handle themselves? What theology do they believe? What are their lives like? And who do they associate with? Would you be bold enough like Paul to say, stop it? Quit it. It's not from God. If you do, in certain circles, you will have the same response that Paul got. He got stuck in prison. Now, you might not get stuck in prison, but there will be a reaction. If you speak against some of this worldliness in music, you will be opposed. Be ready for opposition. This is, of course, when they, they uh, beat Paul and Silas and put them in that Philippian prison. So why is this music so wrong? And the question I have, well, do you want a three-hour sermon? <laughs> no, we'll, we'll stick with half an hour. I'm going to give an example from history to illustrate one of the, re- one of the things they're wrong. Over in Europe, we have France on the continent. We have England on the Isles, the English and the French. And they were perpetual enemies probably for a thousand years. There was a time when England ruled a part of the continent. Never the part. There was some time when France came over to England and they actually ruled uh, English affairs in French for uh, quite, a, quite a time. We have one reason we have so many have some French words in our, in our English vocabulary. But they were perpetual enemies. It was a struggle. It was a struggle for control. It was a struggle for supremacy. Then England entered the industrial age before France did, especially in the area of textiles. England developed those looms, and they developed how the ability to make good cloth cheap, cheaper than anywhere else on the continent. So here comes another one. French and England are involved in another war. And the French soldiers need uniforms. So where do you think they'll go for the best and cheapest cloth for their uniforms? England had it. So they're engaged in a war. They're trying to overcome the English militarily, while underneath they are helping the English by buying their cloth. On the one side, they're trying to overcome them. On the other side, they're giving them ammunition. There's only one logical, long-term outcome in such a situation. And we, who are dedicated to God, we see the flesh as an enemy. That's what the Bible says. The flesh lusts against the spirit, 
and the spirit against the flesh. And so the question I have to ask us, why would you feed the flesh with your music when we are in the business of seeking to have the spirit dominate us in all areas of life, to rule, to reign, and to guide, and to bless, and to purify, and to sanctify. That's what we're seeking the spirit to do. But then we're giving in to music that feeds a fleshly part of us. Do you think in this power struggle that that gentle, powerful spirit will win? What does God say? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. If we give the flesh some space, if we don't kill it, if we don't get rid of it, it will grow. Now, it might lie dormant for a time, maybe even years, and deceiving us to thinking it's not doing any harm. In fact, it seems to be benefiting me. I am more in tune with God since I listened to this music than I was before. I really like it. It really makes me feel good. But it's the world's music. It's patterned after the styles that the world employs. And in some form or another, it is a copy of what's going on in the world. Now, in the early days of CCM, it was actually presented as that very thing. It was actually presented as an alternative. Here you had the alternative music. I mean, you had the world's music. And here you had a Christian. And they, it's a Christian band. And they just took the music from this worldly band, this that did not profess Christianity at all. They just took their music and they put Christian themes and words to it. That was the early days. They just simply copied secular bands. Then the Jesus movement began. Actually, that's exactly when it started. The Jesus movement began in the late 60s when the hippies got converted to Christianity by the thousands. But... They kept their long hair, they kept their lifestyle, their party lifestyle, they kept their clothing, and they kept their music. They brought it into the church and Christianized it. And music, they, for the most part, I think, gave up their drug, but music became their drug of choice. So instead of rejecting their own music, which is ungodly and is clearly of the devil, they use their experience and their talent to create Christian rock. And they, typical of what Paul and Silas experienced, they thumbed their noses at anyone who's there to speak against it. Now this attitude of rebellion... This attitude of don't tell me how to live has always been a part of CCM. I'm going to listen what I want to. I'm going to wear what I want to. And I'm going to make my own decisions. And I'm going to mock churches who speak against it. Now, that was in the early days. 60s, 70s. Now we are two generations later about. And this music, 
worship music has been modified and adjusted and mixed and joined in so many different areas. It has just, you know, just artistic. And it appears good in some ways. It's so passionate. It feels so good. And so we can walk a path that accepts these fleshly styles and methods. And it appears to be okay. In fact, it appears to be good, in fact. And to put it in the early Anabaptist perspective, maybe we were too radical in rejecting CCM early on. Maybe it's not as bad as we thought it was. Things have calmed down. There are some good things there. And, you know, there's a lot of cultural appeal. I'm talking about Anabaptists, those big buildings and those organs and those shows they seem to take the Bible seriously, at least in some, certain areas, and they have an appeal, and some of the Anabaptists went back. They did. And the effect was to integrate it into the cultural church that their forefathers had rejected for godly reasons. Now, when Christian rock first hit the scene, it was rejected by the majority of God's people. Godly people. Most Christians, regardless of stripe, rejected it. But time has had its effect. And like I said, the CCM music has morphed into almost any, almost every genre that you can even imagine that there is. And it has gained widespread acceptance in most churches. Many churches now have their bands up front. Other churches sing CCM songs that are projected on the screens. And even, yeah, we dapple in them. We, 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 we have hints of it in our, in our special singings and sometimes in our choirs and sometimes at our weddings. We have hints of it. So, some of our people listen to them, they enjoy them, and they defend them. We have done, some of us, what Paul needed to do when he warned the, what he warned the Corinthian church not to do. This Corinthian church was a gifted church. You all agree with it. The Corinthians were gifted. But yet they were carnal and they were worldly. And I'm going to read a, a couple of verses out of 2 Corinthians. It's not, again, about music directly, but it does apply. We're talking about music, worldly music styles and techniques. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, actually, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you actually to turn there because we'll be reading a number of verses, and I'll be explaining a little bit about that. Be not, starting at verse 14, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He's telling the Corinthian church. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Now I think of the fellowship, as you talk about the church, I also want you to think of music. And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. 
What connection do the people of God have with the world's songs? Those hippies who came to some kind of Christianity, why bring those world's songs with you? Did you need a Paul to tell you that this will not and it cannot work? Now I'd like to ask you the question. What was the main problem of the Israelites in the Old Testament with their experience with God in the promised land? They had a lot of problems, but one of the main problems was is they mixed the pagan worship of the people around them with the true worship of God. They mixed it. That was one of the main problems. They didn't forsake God but they brought other things in that didn't belong. The mixing of the pagan gods with the worship of their own true God. Now Paul, as we're reading here, continue to read here, he's going to quote some Old Testament passages out of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Leviticus, and some more places. It's Old Testament passages here, and they are promises but they are conditional promises. You know, if you do this, and I will do that. So let's keep on reading. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So this was a call. Uh, say that um, God gave these promises. He said, I gave you these promises, and you come and you do this, and then I will do that. It was a call back in the day, over the Old Testament, it was a call to an errant people of God back in the day of Israel, Isaiah, and Ezekiel. It was a call to the carnal, fleshly people of God at Corinth to come out from among them. This was the call that the original Anabaptists obeyed to their death, some of them. And it is a call to all of us today who are tempted or who has succumbed to the worship of our God in a fleshly, carnal way. This is still a call to us. It's a promise. I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters. And there's a path laid out for us. Having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves. This is God's will. This is his desire of us. You know, God, they used to have this, have this tract that says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> well, this is it. <laughs> God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. CCM has an appeal. I listened to some of it just to preparation for the message. Their music is powerful. I, I was trying to analyze it. They create an atmosphere, an atmosphere of anticipation that builds 
and builds up to a climax of emotion and experience. The hippies that were the natural fathers of this CCM, they, re- they traded their drugs, their uh, LSD and their other drugs they had back then, they traded their drugs for the high of music. It became one of the alternative drugs. And it still is. It's a feel-good, change-your-mood, pick-me-up kind of music. But it smells of smoke. It has a smell of smoke on it. It uses the world's central techniques, such as the breathy, intimate voice and the scooping and the breaking of the voice that makes it feel very authentic to be highly emotional and authentic as being the same as spirituality, being who you are, being real. CCM is connected directly with lots of false churches and false doctrines. And it's been instrumental in leading lots of young people away from truth and righteousness. It's In many ways, it's a bridge. In fact, it's an admitted evangelistic tool by those churches that actually promote music. These, these mega churches that have an arm, a music arm, uh, is part of their ministry. It's part of how they propagate their influence and doctrine and so on. It's an evangelistic tool to broaden their tent, to bring people into their sphere of influence. Paul tells Timothy about perilous times that will come, and it's a time when they will have itching ears. They will have a form of godliness, but they will reject the truth. They will have churches. They will talk about God. They will talk about the Spirit, but they will reject righteousness and holiness. We are to turn away from such, what Paul says. At this point, you're going to 20, 20 points why we should practically reject all CCM music. And I could name groups and songs, but I'm not really well equipped or prepared. So I will spend a little bit of time encouraging good songs and good music that the rest of our time that I have here, which is getting away from us. Worship. Like I said, our music, music is a part of our worship. And our music needs to fit, be fitting to the worship of a God such as ours. It must not be contaminated with idol or heathen worship. It must be pure from the heart, adoration of our God and all that is collect, connected with him in excellence. You know, singing is going to go on and on. Angels sang when God made the world. Singing is going on in heaven now. And it's interesting, as, as we're, as when we go, when after we're done with this life and the eternal world begins and how all that's going to work out, we're actually going to eat in heaven. There's going to be the fruit for the nations, the healing of the nation. We're going to eat and we're going to sing. I have no idea whether we're going to have songbooks or cookbooks. But we're both do both in heaven. We're going to be singing and we're going to be eating. 
But I suspect that singing is going to be the focus more than the eating. And so I just like to encourage a little bit of how singing is such a blessing and how we should uh, worship our God and what it does to us. So I have just a number of points and I'm going to kind of go over them quickly. Number one, singing is instructive. Good songs have words that remind us and fill out our understanding of God in Scripture. And I'm just going to quote a few songs in each one of these points. My soul, beyond thy guard, 10,000 foes arise, and hosts of sin are pressing hard to draw thee from the skies. Wow. That gives a little bit of, hmm. Oh, watch and fight and pray. The battle ne'er give o'er. Renew it boldly every day. And help divine implore. And if you have a song like that, it's instructive. It, it ministers to your spirit. It helps you understand the situation we're in. Singing is an aid to memory. Now, point number two. Uh, many songs are based on Psalms 23. And then we have the one song, I don't know if it's in our songbooks, it might be, there it just uses repeat scripture verses. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. And so you can use singing as an aid to memory of the word of God. Singing inspires us to serve God with all of our hearts. Rise up, O men of God. Be done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the king of kings. <laughs> Singing inspires us to serve God. Singing glorifies our Savior. He is lifted up as we meditate on him in songs. And I thought of the song, Man of Sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim and then to reflection. Hallelujah. What a savior. Singing can focus on the corporate meeting of the people of God. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? Sisters, will you come and help us? Moses' sister aided him. Will you help the trembling mourners who are struggling hard with sin? So it's uh, corporate, and it can be personal, and that's why I chose that song this morning. I love to steal a while away from every cumbering care and spend the hours a setting day in humble, grateful prayer. And we could read more, but I don't have time. Singing is worship and commitment. My Jesus I love thee, I know thou art mine. To thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. I love thee because thou hast first loved me. And singing can be many songs or prayers. Just as I am, Lord, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. And then songs challenge us. Far and near, the fields are teeming with the waves of ripened grain. Far and near, their gold is gleaming o'er the sunny slope and plain. Lord of harvest, send forth reapers. Hear us, Lord, to thee we cry. 
Send in now the sheaves together, ere the harvest time pass by. Just some, I, just an encouragement and a, and a lifting up of the blessing of singing. I have a few more practical points here in closing. We have a cultural way of singing here. We talk about there's Italian music, I mean, food and French food. I guess there's Italian music too. But we have a cultural way of singing here. The four-part harmony that we have in our homes and in our churches is now somewhat unusual. It is an excellent way of singing. We do accept some level of musical instruments, but we generally sideline them so that the focus of the art of singing stays on singing where our voices are not lost. When you when you have a, a, a finally have a tipping point where music where instruments become predominant, you lose the other. And singing, voice, artistic, beautiful singing is something that we do never want to lose. So we're okay with some level of musical instruments, but on the sidelines. And uh one one statement that I came across, and maybe I probably read it here before. It's a statement that brings out a point as if we want to change things. Some don't give thought what will fill the void should they throw off traditional church culture. We have a traditional church culture. <clears throat> Some don't give thought of what will fill that void should they throw off traditional church culture. Some other cultural influence will. None of us are as self-defining as we think. In other words, when we throw it off, we think we're going to fill it with this, but it's not. It's going to fill in with some other cultural influence. And then the the, um, judgment that is made on that. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. So we as collective people, we have erected some fences. We actually say... You know, this is good, this is not, don't go out there. And it's a community decision. It's an identity. It comes from our worldview. It comes from a holy perspective. Not everyone who sings songs outside the fence are lost. We're not saying that. But it's a package that we reject. So we... We erect some fences. Before you go over or you tear down a fence, you better have a good grasp of why it was erected. And so we want to be, we must be radical in our choice of music. Music is an art. We should strive for excellence. Excellent art. Because we have an excellent God, pursue excellence and don't settle for mediocre or common or average. Because God does accept any kind of worship that comes from any kind of heart that is sincere and devoted and true. He accepts that worship. But it's not a virtue to be perpetually sloppy. 
And so, as we look at music, we, we ought to teach our children the art of singing and music. And if we can't, or we aren't musically inclined, we ought to have someone teach them in excellence. Expose our children regularly to, to, um, to others who can sing well. Now, I'd just like to close with one story. It's a story that I don't have the words for anymore, so I'm going to have to go by memory. But we're talking about art. We're talking about how we can use our artistic ability for good or for bad, because we are, it's going to come out. Um, it's the Miller family. This Miller boy has a few siblings it's, I think it's a, probably a conference setting of the 60s and 70s, something like that, maybe 50s. And this Miller boy um, has an artistic ability. He likes to draw and so on. But anyhow, one day he went to church. He was sitting beside his friend. And there's a visiting speaker there, visiting minister there. And this preacher is pre- preaching to the adults. And he's a, he's a young teenager. He's using big words that he doesn't understand. Omnificence, and I can't even pronounce some of those words, but he didn't understand. So him and his friend were a little bored, so his friend whispered a little bit, and somehow they whispered about his friend asked him to draw the preacher's face. And because his friend knew he drew, and so he did. He got a... Apparently there was a sheet of a song sheet in there, in there, and he just turned it over. It's a flat flat sheet. Turned it over, and he drew the preacher's face. Except he didn't just draw the face; he drew it like you would draw a political cartoon. You elongated the nose, and you peaked the ears, and you you could recognize the person, but it was out of proportion, not very glamorous. So, and then the preacher changed his tune and said, okay, now for you children. And he focused on them and told them a story. And he forgot about it. He put the sheet in, closed the book, and forgot all about it. And, um, and then the church was over, and then here, they're going to have the visiting preacher for lunch. <laughs> and so they went home for lunch. They had a number of families over. His parents did, and went home for lunch. Well, he went home. This boy went home. He had some rabbits out back he needed to feed. He went there, and in his rapid area, I'm not sure what his pen, whatever, he also had his drawing materials. And as the, the preacher came to his place, this preacher wandered his way out to the barn and talked to him. And at his rabbit, talked about his rabbits, and then saw his, somehow discovered his art, and he showed him pictures of his, um, drew pictures of nature, his bunnies, and whatever else he drew. And, oh, he said, encouraged him in that, said, you can use that for good. They went in for lunch, and after lunch, they were visiting for a while, and after a while, um, Dad got some songbooks out, said, we're all going to sing. He got these songbooks from church, and, uh, and it was sort of full in the living room area, so there were these stairs that went up, so uh, this boy that drew the book, I'm going to call him, going to call him Andy, just for sake. So Andy sat up in the steps, and the visiting preacher was right below him, and he opened the book, and he heard a little bit of a startle. Here the preacher opened the book, and there was that, that uh, picture of him that he could recognize. 
and it was him, but it was not a very impressive picture of him. And he knew, so he looked up at Andy and chuckled a little bit. And Andy was absolutely mortified. Uh, he could not enjoy. This was a man he respected. This was not something he actually wanted to do. It, it was not his intention. It, it, was, it was a foolish thing he did. And he, they sang, he, his heart absolutely devastated. Afterwards, he actually got to talk to the preacher before he went home. And the preacher reminded him that you can use your art. You can use it for good, God made you, or you can use it for bad. And people do. Now, the point I want to get of this is someday we are going to stand before God. <laughs> and we are actually going to come with our art. And we're going to come with what we have done. And I want to put music in there. And we're thinking about excellent music that honors God, that is worthy of God's character and holiness and uncontaminated from the world. It's not, you, you can recognize it, maybe it looks like Christian, but it's distorted. And you come and you may be just devastated before God for what some of the things that we have done if you have if we were careless with this area. So that's my that's my plea to us. Art is an expression of who we are. Art is something we use and music. We have an excellent God. Let's have excellent music. Let's choose the excellent. Shall we please kneel for prayer? Father, we bow before the Lord, and we even try to imagine what it would be like to be in your presence. And Lord, as we, as we consider and meditate on your excellence and your goodness and your righteousness and your love, Lord, we want to come to you with a proper representation of you. We want your heart to blend into our heart and our hearts blend into you, Lord. We want that communication, and that is fitting to you. You said, Lord, that you desire true worshipers to worship you in spirit and in truth. And, Lord, I just thank you. You have made us worshipers. Pray you be with each one of us as we make the choices. Help each other. Help us, help us to speak into each other's lives. And, Lord, we may not all agree in all areas, Lord, but I pray, Lord, that you would nudge us towards you to make proper decisions. We thank you again for the art of music and the blessing it is in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.